0: If you haven't already, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, that text that Ron just so wonderfully read for us, prayed over for us. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. During a Christmas season not so long ago, I decided to go to the parking lot of a major retailer. I won't say which one, but it was a big blue building with a yellow star. You know, it's kind of Christmassy that way. Jonathan may be able to help you out. My objective was to conduct an unscientific survey of what people thought about the man known as Jesus. I intended to stand outside the front doors as long as I didn't get kicked off the property. And approach people as they came in and out, and to simply ask, Do you have one minute for three questions? And here are the questions that I asked Do you believe there was a guy named Jesus who came into the world? Who do you think he was? And why do you think he came? As I pulled into the parking lot, I realized that my strategy. From the very beginning wasn't going to work because those darn Salvation Army bell ringers had already staked out my position. I didn't feel like it would be very Christmassy to push them aside, so I had to come up with another plan. So I decided I would just approach people in the parking lot and ask my questions. I know it sounds like it could be kind of creepy, but I was going to give it a go. And do you know what happened? Most people even though they said that they believed that there probably, probably was a guy named Jesus who came into the world, most people had no idea who he was or why he came. Think about that for a minute. No idea. And I, find my, I found myself at the end of that time in that parking lot reflecting on the words of Jesus, the fields are white for harvest I was given the grace to see a Walmart parking lot through Jesus's eyes. And while in one sense it made me sad, it made me really sad that so many people could not answer who Jesus was and why he came, it also made me really excited about the opportunity that we have to simply answer those two questions. It's that simple. We can tell people who he is and why he came. And in that way, help them move one step closer to Jesus. I'm going to share more about my Walmart experience as we go this morning. But first, I need to confess something to you. I did not come up with those questions on my own. They were inspired by another dude also named Matthew, a Jew a former tax collector for the Roman government, a man who'd had his life turned upside down in an interaction with Jesus in his tax booth. These questions are what he is concerned with answering in the biography that he wrote about Jesus the Messiah. A biography that begins with what we now think of as the Christmas story, which you heard Ron read moments ago. So, we are gonna explore this morning these questions. To explore who Jesus is, and why he came. The first person I met in the Walmart parking lot was an older gentleman. He was just pulling his cart up next to his truck, you know, getting ready to unload everything that he had purchased in the store. So I approached him, I introduced myself with my name, I asked his name, and then I gave my question. Do you have one minute for three questions? Yeah, sure, I suppose, do you believe there was a guy named Jesus who came into this world? Man, I'm not really sure. I had figured beforehand that if someone would have answered the question that way that they didn't believe that there was a guy named Jesus who came into the world, that I wouldn't ask the other two questions because what would be the point, right? But I don't know if it was because he was just the first guy I talked to or if just I was like really nervous that I just blurted out the following two questions who do you think Jesus was? Man, I have no idea who he was. Have you ever been asked questions before and you're like, I don't know. That's kind of what I felt like the tone was with him. So then I asked my third question, why do you think Jesus came? And instead of answering the question, he just started to share about himself. He said he was a practicing alcoholic That he'd been a drug drug addict, that he'd been involved for years in gangs. He spoke about how he had done a lot of wrong in his life. And then, somewhere near the end, he said this I guess I've spent a lot of time in my life trying to atone for my sins. He actually said that. So, right out of the gate, I broke my rules. I went beyond just asking the questions and I responded to his transparency. But you see, that's why Jesus came. He came to atone for our sins because we can't. He's the only one who can. And we need him to do it. So we wrapped up our conversation and I invited him to our Christmas services and he drove away. In Matthew's story, we find two breathtaking statements about Jesus that are bound up in his names. You see, his names themselves tell us something about who Jesus is and why he came. First, look, Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. But after Joseph had considered these things, an angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So right out of the gate, one of the names that the angel provides to Joseph for his son is Jesus in the Greek, Iesus, which in fact is a Greek transliteration for the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. And the angel doesn't leave any doubt to Joseph as to why this name is going to be applied to his son. He's going to tell Joseph the particular kind of saving that is going to be bound up in his son named Jesus. Namely, he is going to save his people from their sins. And family, because of our recent time in Romans, we understand in a fresh way this problem of sin in this world. As we've watched Paul build an argument over the last few weeks that apart from Jesus, we are, all of us, without excuse. It's why Paul will elaborate in Romans 5. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in in, in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. And we may be tempted to think that people don't know this, that they don't know that they're sinning because we don't use that word all that much in the world anymore, do we? No, we don't. We make mistakes. We, we mess up. We, we don't sin. It's kind of archaic. But that older man in the parking lot knew that word and he used it. I guess I've spent a lot of time trying to atone for my sins. The next person I spoke with was a younger woman. And I asked her my questions, getting fairly quickly to my last question, why do you think Jesus came into the world? To which she replied, I think he probably came into the world because we are all really horrible people. I mean, I'm a really horrible person and we all just need some saving from ourselves. She said that. Let that sink in for a moment. She believed that there was a guy named Jesus. She had said so. She wasn't sure who he was, but she knew enough about him and about herself to hope that, there, that he came to save her from herself. Huh. Huh. And the glorious news of Christmas is that Jesus looked down at the world before Joseph and Mary had yet been created by him, a world filled with people, really horrible people, because of their sinning and hurting themselves and each other. He looked down and he saw people just like we see every single day in Walmart parking lots and Safeway parking lots and at the coffee shop who need saving from themselves. And Jesus said, I'll do it. I will become just like them. I will take on flesh and blood. I will be conceived in a womb by the Holy Spirit. I will pass through a birth canal and enter into the world, a broken, sin-heavy world that they inhabit. I will be wrapped in a blanket. I will wear a diaper. I will go through the process of growing and living and eating and sleeping. I will learn Hebrew so that I can read the scriptures. I will learn carpentry so that I can work with my dad. I will get sick, endure fevers, vomit, and have diarrhea. I will be baptized and enter ministry and make disciples and put up with them and train them. I will proclaim and preach. I will know poverty, betrayal, and suffering. I will become vulnerable. I will become killable. All so that I can save them from themselves. And if Jesus were in that parking lot with that older gentleman, you know what I think he'd say? I came to atone for your sin. And he would lovingly say to that younger woman, Yes, you are horrible. You are so right, my child. You cannot save yourself, but I would. I would save you. I would rescue you. I would make you my sister. I would give you a new family and a new life, both eternal and forevermore. I would make all the sad things in part right now and in full one day. I would make all the sad things in your life come untrue Family, this is what the incarnation, this is what Christmas is all about. This is why he came. (laughs) The writer of Hebrews says it this way. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, we all, we have all, all of us, flesh and blood. Jesus also shared in these. Okay, you have to stop when you're reading your Bible. At times, at phrases. When there's a punctuation mark, just think of it as a pause and soak that in. Jesus shared in my flesh and blood. Thank you, Jesus. So that, why did he do that? So that through his death, he might destroy. He might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free everyone who has been held slavery all of their lives by fear, by the fear of death. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God so that he might make atonement, Walmart old man, for the sins of the people. Merry Christmas. Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death he might destroy death and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death so we don't have to be afraid of death. Do you see? (laughs) The Bible tells us that God the Father and God the Son they hear our cries like the cry of that young woman feeling she's a horrible person who needs saving from herself. And it thus explains why the incarnation takes place. Father and son see sin ruining the world. They see death entering the world through sin and taking people out. They hear the screams of all the people going down to death. And so Jesus came for sinners to save his people from their sins and the wages of their sins, which is death. Jesus got involved in our mess to save us from our mess. And I wonder, are we willing to get involved in the mess of other people's lives so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to save them from their mess? Because he said that, he said that you are the hope of the world. Yes, under Jesus. Yes, by the power of the Spirit. But he's actually left this to us, which is shocking. <laughs> and then we look around at each other and like, really? Is this your plan? And he says, Yes, it is. Which means we need we, we need to get involved. We need. We need to change the rhythms of our lives to the rhythms of the lives of the people that we're trying to meet. That's not easy. I made my way a couple of rows rows over in the parking lot to two young girls exiting their car and heading towards the entrance and I asked my questions. Just one of them was willing to respond Fairly rapid fire. Do you believe there was a guy named Jesus who came into the world? Yeah, I believe he was a guy who probably came into the world. Who do you think he was? I don't know. Maybe just a nice guy. Why do you think he came? I don't know. Maybe to just make the world a little bit of a better place. And then she caught me off guard. She looked at me and said, how would you answer the questions? I said, that's not the way this works. Actually, what I said was, well, really? Because I said I'd only take a minute of your time and I'm a preacher and when you ask me questions, things get long. I'm genetically predisposed to not be able to answer questions with short answers. She said, yeah, really? How would you answer the questions? So I said, well, I, I do believe that there was a guy named Jesus who entered into the world, and I believe that he was actually God. In this really hard way to understand, he was, he was not just part God, he was fully God and fully human. And he came for many reasons, but the Bible gives us two of the most, most important reasons in saying that Jesus came to save people from sin and he came to be with us. He came to help us. He came so that we don't have to do this life on our own, that with all of his power, he's right alongside us to do it with us. And then I asked, as long as we were really going now, have you ever seen Lord of the Rings? It was a question that was not on my list, but since we were breaking all of the rules, I decided to add it. No, she said. So, but but you've but y'all have heard of the movies, right? Yes. Okay, so there's there's this part in the Lord of the Rings, and and there's these little hairy guys named Hobbits, and one of these hobbits is talking to the other hobbit, and he says to him, all the sad things are going to come untrue. And part of the reason that Jesus came is so that we could believe in him because one day he said he's coming back again. I wasn't moving around like this preaching in the parking lot. But one day he's coming back again and he is going to make all the sad things come untrue. And do you know what she did? She looked at me with this, face of just like surprise and said, wow, that sounds really great. I kind of wish that he would come back right now. And I said, yeah, me too. And if you look in this Christmas story, we see in the second name given to Jesus that we get to taste that promise. Right, it's 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 called now and not yet. I, I want that in your lexicon. That the coming of Jesus is a now and not yet thing. That the, the kingdom is breaking in a way now, but not yet, not all the way, right? We're we're waiting with longing and expectation for Jesus to return. The kingdom is now, but not yet. So we live in that tension. And it's not just that we get to experience God with us when he comes back, we get a taste of that. Now, right in the middle of all of our sad things that will one day, not yet, but will one day come untrue, Jesus is in the middle of that with us. Look, it says it in verses 22 and 23. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by Yahweh through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to his son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. To which we say, okay yes but a lot of times okay we just kind of say okay fine that's you know all very Christmassy God with us Emmanuel oh come oh come Emmanuel And, and then on we go but what does it mean what does it look like how does it matter that God is with us We all carry around with us in our pockets these amazing little devices, little bricks of glass and silicon and transistors and batteries. And they allow us to stay connected to the people that are in our very house in which we live. Have you ever found yourself texting someone who's just in another room? And they allow us to be connected to people half a world away. I use my little device to ask fairly frequently among all the text groups that I'm a part of. Y'all part of text groups, right? Ongoing strings. I ask if there's anything that I can be praying for. Here's just a few examples of what came across my screen this week. Please pray for a conversation I'll be having with a friend. It's going to be hard. Please ask God to provide an answer for a new job. I've put out applications, but I haven't heard back. Please pray for healing after a procedure a relative just had, and we want a smooth recovery. Please pray for our trip that's coming up, that we'd have a great time and return rested. Please pray for a conversation coming up. I have to fire an employee, and it's not going to be easy. Please pray for me. There's been some really hard things in my job that honestly just make me want to vomit. And then this from some friends in Minnesota. This this is a mom speaking about her daughter who's in her 20s. Sarah's cancer has overtaken her body, causing several difficult complications. She's given ongoing pain med patches and given additional meds for breakthrough pain when needed. She mostly sleeps at this point. When awake, she fluctuates between confusion and hallucinations, and at times just being Sarah. We treasure those moments, but they are also some of the harder ones for me as she is then then aware that her suffering has not yet ended. She is so ready to be with her Savior and to be freed from her pain. Please pray. Add to these requests, all the ones that we received this last week as a staff team and discussed and prayed over at our meeting, add to those requests, the people that I've just talked to this week, add to that what I see in my neighborhood, what I see in our city, what I see in the news, in the wide and complex issues surrounding us in our country and around the world And very quickly, you see that we are surrounded by and swimming in a veritable avalanche of suffering and need, all of which at times can make us feel overwhelmed and could cast us into despondency. You know, there was this text that we just looked at in Hebrews, and there's something that the writer says a bit before that text. I want to take you to it now. Hebrews chapter two, verse eight we do not yet see everything subjected to him. But we do see Jesus. Okay, can we just all be honest about the fact that that's hard? That Jesus came and he started to fix things, but they are not yet fixed all the way? And the Bible recognizes and warns us about that. Namely, that it's hard when all things aren't yet subjected to him. Because it's in the places where the things aren't subjected to Jesus, that's where all the suffering comes from. Amen. Ray Ortland says of it, Suffering is bewildering. In it, we lose our bearings and we lose our way the sufferings of this present time and that's so true isn't it when when we are weighed down by a world that is marked by sad things a world not yet fully in subjection to jesus it can get really picking hard so what do we do when that happens as in most cases i think the answer and it is you guys listen You cannot give up on the Bible. You cannot give up on the Bible. Every answer I've ever needed as a husband and father and brother and son and pastor is found in the Bible by the power of the Spirit. You've got to get yourself in the Bible and soak in the Bible when these things happen. And if at all possible, to do that with other people. Because often when we've lost our bearings and lost our way, when we are being tossed out there on the waves of life and it feels like, it feels like God is not with us, sometimes so strongly it feels that way that we think it's actually true, it is right then that we need someone on the shore with the rope, you know, you know those ropes with those little life preservers around them? To throw the life preserver of their faith and their trust and their belief so that we can grab onto it and they can bring us in back off of the waves onto the firm ground of faith and belief and hope in Jesus. And that little preserver that we throw out to each other is called the promises of God. We need people in our lives who will tell us, stop listening to your feelings. Because your feelings, while sometimes speak truth, often speak lies. I can't tell you how many times I need my wife to grab me by the scruff of the neck and say, stop believing, that's a lie. That's a lie. We need to hear firmly from someone else currently believing, listen, friend, God is with us. I mean, in one sense, it should be enough that Jesus promised it in the Bible, right? But you know what's great about Jesus? (laughs) He knew that we would need more than just him saying it. He, He knew that we would need proof. Right? That, that's how the stories end. He he takes off and and lo, I am with you always, even in the end of the age. And then what does he do? Leaves. All the disciples had to be like, wait, what? <laughs> Whoa, contradiction. But then what does he do? He gives us acts the book of Acts. We see the Holy Spirit. We see power manifested. We see miracles. We see people being saved and transformed and brought into the kingdom. We see what? Emmanuel with them. And we look in these scriptures and we see these stories so that we can believe, oh, he wasn't lying. He did what he said he would do. So I guess I can believe that's true for me too. That he'll be with me in the 20th. First centuries you know, you know of these stories I have a favorite I think one of my favorite stories about the reality that that Jesus is still with us it's from Paul and he's writing to his protege Timothy and and he reminds Timothy in this writing that he's gone through some really hard sufferings and persecution and and he shares a particular story with Tim, Timothy about this one guy who had come at him so hard came at him to do him much harm Paul writes And because of that harm, Paul gets dragged before a judge with all kinds of accusations coming at him. And do you know what happened to Paul in the moment when he's dragged before a judge? Paul, who had poured out his life for so many people, given himself over, worked a job while he's teaching to them so he's not a burden. Do you know what happened to Paul in his greatest hour of need? He tells Timothy, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. And so there he stands before the Caesar. And the accusations are being brought. He's on trial. He's falsely accused. He's been abandoned by his friends. He's all alone. But wait. In that moment, he realizes something. He realizes It's not true. He's not alone. He says, so he thought he was, right? He's just like us. I'm all alone. No one with me. But Jesus stood with me and strengthened me. I was rescued from the lion's mouth, Timothy. And Jesus will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Is Jesus standing physically next to Paul in that moment? I don't think he was. But what Paul felt in that moment, it was as if, I think what he felt, it's it's almost as if standing there alone, he could feel an arm come around his shoulder that was the arm of Jesus saying, it's okay, brother, we got this, I'm with you, I haven't left. See, Paul understands something. It's revealed to him in that moment. Listen, here, you gotta listen to this, okay? We can't talk about heaven as being kind of this up there and we're down here thing. The Bible does not talk about heaven that way, friends. The Bible says nowhere that we are going to heaven as if it's this like like it's up, we all look like, hey, I'm going to heaven somewhere. But heaven's not up there in the left-hand corner of the room. See, heaven is this realm. It is the spiritual reality where Jesus dwells. It's, it's almost this other, it's hard for us to even describe it in human terms. It's like another dimension operating always around us. Right? Paul writes about this elsewhere, that, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. They're not up there, friends. They're down here. They're on this earth. It's as if there's this stage with a curtain drawn and we can't see him. And right between the veil and us, Jesus is there. And and that's what he does sometimes, right? In the biographies, all of a sudden he just appeared. Well, it wasn't that he wasn't there. He just allowed them to see that he is there. And that's how it operates right now. He's here. We just can't see him. He's here. (laughs) He's right here with us, God, with us, and he could in a moment just take these little earthly blinders off and we'd be like, whoa, (laughs) like with millions of angels singing before shepherds. Paul has more to say about trusting God with us in our sufferings. And he says how we do that is we talk with him. Romans 8, 26. The Spirit also helps us. See, He helps us to know that Jesus is with us, and he also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. Now, here's something that I'd never seen before that a commentator pointed out for me. Weakness in this text is in the singular and not plural. The Spirit helps us in our, he doesn't say weaknesses, He helps us in our weakness. In other words, weakness is not one experience alongside all of our other experiences. Weakness is the foundation or platform on which we have all of our experiences. We have never known for one nanosecond in this this life a moment of (laughs) non-weakness. It is fundamental to our humanity, which means, okay, so what does that mean? What does that have to do with Christmas, Pastor Matthew? Let me tell you. It means that part of the astounding nature of the incarnation in the birth of God into this world, Emmanuel, God is with us, is that Jesus stepped into that fundamental weakness when he took on flesh. I love Jesus. <laughs> I just love Jesus. I love that he was willing to step into a fundamental weakness. And you know what? It's probably why we find him praying so pick and much. Because he took that on. Paul teaches in this passage that we do not present ourselves to God with how formidable we are. Here I am, God, ready to take on the world. I mean, I would like your help, but I probably don't really need it. No, we come to him with how weak we are. And do you know the comfort that we find in this passage? is that God does not despise us in our weakness. Oh, friend, how often have we gone to God ashamed of our weakness? Here I am again. I know I need help again. And he's like, yeah, you do. (laughs) And I'm here just for that. Look at what the text says he does instead of despising us in our weakness. It says he helps us in our weakness the spirit also helps us in our weakness and god does this not only in the weakness of our praying but when our weakness is so great that it shuts down our praying have you ever been there Maybe the shutdown comes because of marital discord or the warmth of a marital union that has turned cold or something in your work or vocation that is overwhelming, or maybe it's the weight of something with a child, bad decisions that they have made, a drifting or disconnectedness from God, some weight that they carry that we feel with them. I mean, can't every parent in this room say that we are only as happy as our saddest kid? It's true. Maybe it's an ongoing sickness or medical condition or the burdens and difficulties of those around you that you love and are hurting or simply the cumulative effects of life in a sin-stained world that leave us weary and exhausted. And sometimes, because of such things, we feel like we are not connecting with God. It's like, it's like the internet can, you know, service is down, come back later. We're not feeling that He's present in any way. So what do we do then in our prayer? Well, Paul tells us we show up with our lack of words. We show up. Maybe it's... You know what some of the most powerful prayers in the world are? Help. <laughs> like God just help or maybe it's not even that isn't it great that the bible tells you you don't even have to use words and that the holy spirit will come with groanings that are he will take your groanings that are in like sometimes all it is is oh and the astounding truth that we see from paul is that you are not alone in your praying even if it is silent Praying because God is there helping. This is a manifestation of Jesus coming into the world. Emmanuel God with us is that God is there in our praying when we cannot pray. Merry Christmas. I love how J.I. Packer comments on this verse. The Spirit fixes all our prayers on the way up. <laughs> That is your reality, disciple of Jesus. You always have Jesus with you and the Holy Spirit with you, fixing all of your prayers on the way up. You know what's amazing? We, we say around here, we want to help people grow one step closer to Jesus. You know what I discovered looking at this text for the first time today? Jesus is always taking one step closer to us. Hallelujah. For he is Emmanuel. God with us in all of our weakness and because of our weakness. Friends, weakness, our weakness is not an obstacle to God but a pathway. It is a pathway. Worship team, would you come up? I learned a lot in a parking lot and all the people that I talked with, four of them, turned my questions back on me and asked, how would you answer the questions? I wonder how you would answer the questions now. If someone said to you, is there a guy named Jesus who came into this world? I hope we'd all say, absolutely there was. Absolutely. Well, who was he? Well, he was the son of God. Maybe you could say, you, you know, you sing about it. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. He's God. Why did he come into the world, grace churchgoer? He came into the world to shed his blood so that all of your sin could be taken care of and all the wrath of God could be removed and you could be clean of all that dirt and filth that you feel accumulating on your soul And he came to be with you because he knows how hard it is to live in a sinful, broken-down world. And he will never leave you or forsake you if you come to him with the empty hands of faith and simply believe and say, Jesus, I want what you have. I want a new status. I want to be part of a new family. I want a new future. Because, yes, he's coming again. And you could live with him in a new heavens, in a new earth, where it will be Christmas every day. The presence will be unending. I believe that's going to happen, friends. All the sad things are going to come untrue. Yes, and very amen, in Jesus' name.